Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. We're going to talk about a church that is very close to some very good friends of ours. And in fact, I want you to, I want to pull up this picture because this was sent to me by someone from San Antonio who at the time was attending Cornerstone Church there in San Antonio at the time pastored by John Hagee. Now Matthew Hagee has taken over. And when you see this, know that these were the handouts that were given given to his wife regarding the seven mountains of cultural influence and ways to pray over these seven mountains. And what people may not know is that right there in San Antonio, Matthew Hagee, now who's kind of taken over for his father, has had Chris Vallotton come and speak at his church, has had Chris Vallotton come and speak on his show alongside his wife. And guys, this is really serious. I mean, this is Guys, this is right from our friends right there, the Jackson family in San Antonio. Yeah, we're talking about uh, James and Veronica. And, Erica. Or Erica. Sometimes I call her Veronica. Sorry, <laughs> Veronica. Erica. Sorry. Erica, we love you. John, uh, James, we love you. But they took a stand. Uh, they took a, a, I've talked to them about truth a number of times. And I've seen, you know, you know Erica's tears over, you know, the frustration of ha- trying to find a solid church in the area. And James, you know, you know James. I mean, he's a former Navy SEAL. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, together, they're in a long journey, and they got a hold of a lot of our stuff in the past. And and by the way, praise God, they're one of our Texas home groups. They do a fantastic job over there. If you're looking in the, you know, that area of Texas, San Antonio area, and the outskirts, Bel Verde, where they're at, uh, join that. Join that. They've got a great home group there. Uh, and we'll be out there in stream. November, actually. Yeah, we'll be out there pretty soon. <laughs> Uh, actually doing the Marvels, DC stuff, you know, so pray about that. But anyway, uh, when you talk about John Hagee even, I mean, right now we're talking about uh, Valton going there, a false prophet. Hagee, John Hagee, that guy is a serious false teacher, you know? I mean, there's we differ with people in the time of the rapture on issues regarding, you know, uh, you know, not just pre-mid or post, you know, we differ. But we soteriology. Call it, soteriology, like, yeah. we, you know, as well, uh, we disagree with our Calvinist brethren who believe that Jesus only died for a few, uh, and so forth. But I'll tell you what, man, and that's and we have some serious differences. But when you're talking about teaching people that Jews don't need to come to Christ because they have a separate co- like John Hagee has taught, he teaches that they have a separate covenant that they can be saved under. I mean, what do you do? I mean, you know what Paul calls that a different gospel. Mm. Paul says, I marvel that you're so quickly being removed from him who's calling the grace of Christ. Galatians 1, 6 to another gospel, which is really not another, but it's a different gospel. He said, if we are an angel from heaven, preach another gospel than that which we preach to uh, you. Let him be accursed. Anathema is the Greek. One translation says, let him go to hell. You know, it's, And so by teaching that you could be saved by the by keeping the law of Moses, which is uh, is what Hagee's basically saying, that they can be saved under that covenant, uh, it's contrary to what the Apostle Paul, the entire New Testament, save perhaps maybe Luke, was written by Jews, Okay. You have books like Galatians. You have books like Hebrews, which warns that there's no other sacrifice for our sins and that Jesus trumps Moses. You know, Jesus uh, trumps the angels. 
The, the new covenant trumps the old covenant. The blood of Christ trumps the blood of, you know, the, the, the bulls and, the, and so forth. And if we go on sinning willfully and after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking fire indignation that would devour the adversaries of God. So it's very important that he says there no longer remains a sacrifice for those who depart from Christ and they seek this other gospel. So with regard to John Hagee, that to me right there, that is not the spirit of God. That is a, a, a line spirit there that's led him into that doctrine. And of course, it kind of fits together with what we've talk, talked about because therefore it allows him to have close relationships with Jewish leaders in Israel because he doesn't preach the gospel to them. He doesn't believe they need the gospel. And therefore, he's able to join hands with them. And that's kind of what we're seeing more and more with this ecumenism. The name of Jesus is toned down. You know, uh, oh, this first gentleman we, you know, quote, I don't even call him a gentleman, he's cheating on his wife. This first man we quote uh, or, or we play, you know, uh, he, he kind of like, well, I, I do believe Jesus is the only way, but we can all join hands, you know. So it's almost like he's making an excuse for what he believes uh, to join hands with these guys. So this is an ecumenical spirit. And then you have, you know, Matthew Hagee joining with, you know, these guys having Volatin there, who's a known false prophet and who's all about the seven mountain mandate. And of course, Erica and, and James are the ones that had shown us uh, the pamphlets that they had received there. Uh, yeah, and you know what, that was, that that was a, a thorough pamphlet too. We only shared just the front image of that, but they literally, I mean, page after page on how to pray and, and so forth for this seven mountain mandate. And I, and one of the things is we, we're trying to get at the root of is the root of this teaching is ultimately demonic. It's not something that's, oh, we have some differences. But Lance Wallnow, as Joe has already articulated to you guys, these guys think that they, as, the, as he said, will tie up the kingdom here into a nice little bow and then hand it back to Jesus. We're so glad we were able to do this for you there, King. But the fact is, is they believe some very strange things. And as Lance Wallnow, who's already, we talked about writing the book alongside Bill Johnson from Bethel, uh, Invading Babylon, here is him talking about how believers and Christians and the church actually are the ones that determine his words, not mine, when the Lord returns. And so, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the entire world, the whole world. It's a testimony to the nations. And then the end come. The end doesn't come when Islam rises. The end doesn't come when China rises. The end doesn't come when the Antichrist rises. The end comes when the church rises and the gospel of the kingdom is preached. It's the church that determines when the end comes, not the devil. And grant to us, Lord, strength to be able to carve our way into the places where the gates of hell are located. I pray for a breaking down of gates of media, breaking down of gates of government, till there's a baptism of truth in the minds of Americans, and this veil is torn. I pray for a net formed by apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, in every mountain, in media, in academia. And I, I wanted to play that clip, not only because, uh, Joe, I, I have to ask you, is it the church who determines when Jesus comes back? I'm going to ask you that. But you see the fervor with which he, he prays, and it's very strange praying like that, the way he does, but this fervor by which he prays for these seven mountains and, and to know these pamphlets are being hand, handed out at more mainstay churches that people would know in Texas and so forth. But then to hear those words that the church determines 
the end. I, I just I find that to be absolutely pretty yeah, weird. The, yeah, and the context <laughs> there is when the church rises up, and it's not you know the Antichrist rises up. He doesn't determine it. Well, you know, it's not the church or the Antichrist that determines the end. In fact, Satan will know his time is short, but he doesn't want the end to come. You know, Antichrist doesn't want his his uh, reign to be terminated at the end of forty two months, but it will be because the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Now, Jesus said, "No one knows the day and the hour." Not even the angels, not even the Son, okay? Now that he's been glorified with the Father, uh, John chapter 17, uh, and glorify me, Father, with the glory that I had with you at the beginning for the creation of the world. Uh, it, perhaps Jesus has that, I believe he does have that knowledge now. Uh, and as, you know, so he, God determines when it's going to happen, but it's not the church rising up. In fact, when we read Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 5, uh, let me see this. Chapter 13, verse 5. Listen to what it says. It says, There was given to him, that is the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Okay? He opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. Verse 7. And it was given to him to make war with the saints. It doesn't say, And the saints overcame him and overtook the seven mountains. That's not what it says. And to overcome them given him to, over, uh, to make war with the saints to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So the church doesn't rise up and take over the earth and, and you know bring the kingdom in. The church actually uh, suffers at the hands of the Antichrist. And it's a test. It's, that's why we call it the Great Tribulation Period. It's a time of great testing uh, for uh, the saints at that time. And it's a time where the Lord uses testing as he does in Scripture he already purifies us from our sins and the punishment of our sins because we've been declared uh, righteous. No condemnation literally means when we've been justified that we're not uh, under his condemnation by the blood of Christ. But our character, I mean, listen to these guys. Our characters need to be humbled. We need to be changed. And Israel is going to be humbled as well and no longer rely on uh, the chariots and horses of men and other nations. And the tribulation is going to bring a time of great trouble to where uh, the Lord's not coming back for the whore of Babylon. He's coming back for the bride of Christ. He's going to destroy the horde of Babylon. And the bride is made pure by the blood of Christ, but the scriptures are very clear over and over and over and over again that God uses trials to purify our character. And the tribulation will separate the, 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 the wheat from the chaff, it'll, it'll, and true brothers and sisters will shine with the love and the light of Christ. And many would put to death. It goes on to say in verse 8, uh, those who are to go into captivity will go into captivity. Those who are to be killed with the sword will be killed with the sword. That's what the scriptures say. Now, of course, just like in Jeremiah's day, just like in Isaiah's day, just like in Ezekiel's day, people don't want to hear the truth. In fact, Jeremiah says the people love lies. And Paul said the people want their ears tickled. So a lot of people don't want to read what the book of Revelation says. No, you know, it's either, oh, we're not going to go through that, so I don't really want to be concerned about it, or, or, or it was already fulfilled in 70 AD, even though it was written years after that. Uh, there's so many ways our flesh squirms not to face the reality that we must suffer uh, for Jesus. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, the scriptures say. And it's really clear. I mean, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, last days, terrible times will come. He didn't say we're over in the last days, we're going to overtake the seven mountains. Be excited because we're going to save the world. No, he talked about men will be lovers of self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient, parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, on and on and on, having a form of godliness, which is what we're seeing here, but denying the power thereof. And then he says, evil men will wax from worse, from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, how is that the kingdom of God coming on earth when evil men go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived? That's what the scriptures prophesy in the general epistles. Uh, Peter says mockers will come as well, walking after their lust. 
Jude talks about that Paul we just addressed. He talked about apostasy. The, Jesus said many will fall away, and then there will be an abomination of desolation. Paul said the falling away will come first before Christ comes back, and the Antichrist will sit in the temple. And he won't be destroyed, Paul says, until the Lord comes and destroys him with the spirit of his mouth, the brightness of his coming. And we see that in Revelation chapter 19, uh, which a lot of preterists want to say, oh, that's already been fulfilled. Other preterists say, oh, I, don't, I guess I don't want to say that's fulfilled, but I'll just explain it away. Don't explain it away. Believe what Jesus taught there. Believe the word of God. Don't go with this, this junk you've made up or that sounds good and tickles your ears because you don't want to suffer for Jesus. It just, it breaks my heart because we have so many wimpy professing Christians out there that don't want to suffer that they get this attitude that we're going to take over. And, and, the, and if you're going to take over, man, you're going to be on the wrong side. A lot of the, a lot of people in the Christian church, the first three centuries were martyred. Justin, martyr, you know, church fathers were, were put to death. But guess what? Constantine said, Hey, the church could be the head. It doesn't have to be the tail. Let's all join hands. And what do they did? That, what do they do? There's a picture there. You had a lot of professing Christians join with Constantine and Roman Catholicism and paganism and leave true Christianity behind. And that's what's going to happen in the end again under the Antichrist. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, especially when you when you study ecclesiology, the history of the church, and you, you study also and you see that a lot of times that when false doctrine came, it's because people started to believe a different doctrine based on the situation around them. Amillennialism is a perfect example of that when it comes to Augustine and then being pushed by Eusebius and so forth, making it seem, while writing on behalf of Constantine, making it seem as though, oh, you know, nobody, you know, really believes in this premillennial stuff except for, you know, all of church history before Augustine. But but, uh, it's, it's really interesting that that would happen over and over again, especially when it comes to the millennium, specifically Revelation chapter 20, because over and over again you have in history... You know, perfect example, Augustine, Amelia is, wait a second, maybe we're in the kingdom of, you know, maybe right now we have all this peace because we have Constantine here, we're not getting slaughtered anymore. So I look at the book of Revelation, this has already passed, you know, uh, that sounds great at the time. Then you had the post mills that pretty much, lo- most, a long time later, lo- a long time later, but then a lot of them died off at World War II. They're like, wait a second, yeah. I guess, I guess it's not so all coming back. So much the kingdom of God being ushered in World War One, then World War II. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? World War One and World War Two. Our utopian pipe dream has been blown to smithereens. And so now, over and over again, you see people changing their theology based on circumstance, and we have to be really, really careful of that. And one of the things that we've wanted to do in this one is to show you some of the key players, because Lance Wallnau, obviously being a key player, we're not going to go into see Peter Wagner with the kind of the founder of the New Apostolic Reformation. We'll talk about him a little bit, and you'll see him we'll in a video coming later. up but but when we talk about Che On Che On has been I heretic for a long time uh, he considers himself and calls himself an apostle uh, like a living apostle here today and when it comes to Che On he was involved and I would say because we did this a long time ago Joe where we showed quite clearly in our Bethel series when we did the live Q&A we showed the very weird is the best way I could describe it. Weird, um, you know, I, I don't know, some sort of, it looked like witchcraft to me. No, it was, man. They, they're, they, they think they're doing some Lord of the Rings a sorcerer's thing. staff, man. Yeah, using a sorcerer's staff, and they prophesied that they were ending racism in the church. And uh, just from that, we know they're false prophets. Right, but, but before we show the clip, yeah. I mean, it is definitely witchcraft because you're taking Gandalfs, you know, which is, it's actually silly, and it's, it's embarrassing, uh, you know, to be called Christianity. Uh, and it's also a denial of the power of the Holy Spirit that you have to rely on the power of magic 
from Gandalf, who, who you know, the, what does the Bible say in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 12? When thou art come in the land which the Lord thy God shall give thee, thou shalt not learn to practice the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices magic, reads omens, you know, a wizard and so forth, sorcerers, you know, contacts the dead, necromancers, all that. And it's because of this the Lord says, I put them out of the land, I'll put you out too. Talking to the Jews, warning them not to practice the abominations of these, because these wizards were contacting the demonic entities, familiar spirits that claim to be dead people often. And uh, here we have at Bethel, they're practicing, they're taking Gandalf's supposed from Lord of the Rings, I guess that makes wizardry acceptable all of a sudden, his staff and banishing the spirit of racism, which by the way, it didn't work, folks. You know, there's so many uh, ridiculous things that go along with this, but this is, and the, the, the serious thing here that we need to focus on, Bethel is supposed to be claiming to be part of a revival that's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is absolute denial of a reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit when you're looking to magic, and it shows you that they're not truly reliant on the true Holy Spirit of God by and large. Yeah, and, and when you look at, at this, you it's it's very awkward, and we're going to play it right here because I, I, I want them to do the justice here because they do quite enough uh, than us talking about it but just notice some of the awkwardness between these quote-unquote prophets as well as you watch this clip. Dedicating your home, yourself, as an ecclesia. Inviting the presence of Jesus into your home. You know, we're going to do some binding and loosening. And one of the things that I've learned in the last maybe around 10 years, that apostles have authority to make de decrees and declarations. Now, everybody understands, if you know Lord of the Rings, everybody understands what's in my hand. Everybody understands what's in my hand. And during this process, I've been asking God, show me the act. Show me the act. But the Lord told me I needed to repent for the participation I had with the racist spirit in America. We are going to lift the staff and will command the spirit not only to leave, but he shall not pass. Now, if you heard what Apostle Savosa said, he said that you need to oil your door. So I encourage you, if you haven't done this in the proper order, you must put oil in your door and then go in front and repeat this act with us. So as an apostolic team with the authority that God's given to us, we decree and declare that racism will end, it's over, in the ecclesia from this night forward, in Jesus' mighty name. Let's lift it up and bang it. <laughs> Hallelujah! Come on, give him a praise over. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, we did it twice. We need one more. One more. We need you to agree with us. Okay. On the count of three. On three. Shout with us. One, two, three. Thou shalt not pass. In the name of Jesus Christ. You know, when you throw out the name of Jesus Christ as if it's an abracadabra at the end of a spell, it, it's not what the authority of Christ actually being in our prayer life is all about. And you see them, and in that clip, you hear Shayon talking about, you hear, you hear him talking, 
And you also see they were very particular about this whole situation, anoint your doors and so forth. So it, I mean, does that not resemble some, a spell? No, absolutely, Chad. And, and that's a good point. I was thinking the same thing that the order, and it happened to be, you know, you have to anoint your door. Well, where's that in scripture that you have to anoint your door with oil? Hmm. Uh, let me see where the church is told to do that. And we have to be careful that, of that ourselves as Christians where we start doing things that aren't in Scripture because we just think there's some kind of supernatural power attributed to it as believers. So you have to anoint the, you have to hit it not once but twice. And they're all like laughing after the first time. Oh, it's worked. And then the, uh, the second time. And then the, the lady's like, no, it has to happen three times. And then guess what? You have to agree with us. So all these things have to happen, including everybody agreeing with them. Otherwise, you leave one thing out, the spell's not going to work. Now, if someone wants to say, well, this is a prayer to the Lord. Oh, really? Using Gandalf's wizard's staff, pounding it three times, which is which is which has the whole connotation of magic. And, and those, by the way, when you're using a wizard's staff and you're using it in a magical way, in the occult, you, what you're doing is commanding demonic entities. And what blows me away is this is a church which claims to be involved in spiritual warfare, which is just, you know, you know open sesame to the demonic world through their practices. And... Unfortunately and tragically and sadly, Satan, because they're seducing spirits and doctors of demons, a lot of their music reaches like the tentacles of a demonic octopus in all kinds of churches, and, and people are drawn uh, to this kind of theology, which is unbiblical, and is setting people up for a demonic invasion. There, it's actually, what's heartbreaking is I've read a lot of uh, statements from Bill Johnson and his entourage, his wife and others, where they're basically trying to use a lot of New Age stuff. And that's an example of using witchcraft and they're trying to baptize it and basically we've talked about you know the necromancy and, and laying on uh you know tombstones and stuff to get power from the dead and so forth we did that recently when we were dealing with uh bill johnson's wife and so forth so you have a lot of occult activity and in the scriptures when we see this antichrist move in the end there's the worship of demons which is a big part of it people don't repent revelation 9 verses 18 through 21 they don't repent of their worship of demons and what's happening, a lot of people don't even realize that they're opening themselves up to demons through various practices. Before I was a Christian, when I was involved in the occult and I was just doing visualization, I thought, this is like mind science. I'm just like, you know, sp you know speaking and visualizing with my brain matter and my subconscious, because I don't believe in God and Satan and so forth. You know, and there's something out there, but I'm just getting touched my brain. I have myself with the demonic world. So, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's important that you know that you're locked into the scripture, man. And, and that you don't go beyond the scripture say what is written. And you don't get into all this weirdness, you know. The church is becoming like, and it has been for some time, a circus. And that's why much of the world laughs at it and mocks. But praise God, Jesus has his remnant. Uh, there's, there'll be a great multitude that no man can number from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that will come out of the great tribulation, many through martyrdom. So I encourage you to hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to his word. And I mentioned earlier that when John is told, or I should say when the book of Revelation is given to John, and Jesus said, you dwell where Satan's throne is, uh, he doesn't tell them, I mentioned, that they're to march around, you know, the temple of Zeus or uh, an, an image of Domitian to expel that spirit. They're commended because they've remained faithful. You know, they're, they're also warned about false teaching that's invaded their church, by the way, just as the church of Pergamos is. So they're warned against false teaching invading. That's how you stand against these principalities and powers. And, uh, the, you know, the reigning faithful in the days of Antipas, my faithful servant. Uh, so faithfulness to God's truth is how we get victory and walking in his truth, spreading the gospel and praying and crying out to God uh, that for the 
the gospel to spread and people get saved. That's what we're supposed to be about as a church and growing and discipling those who've come to Christ. Yes, and, you know, when we look at all of these things and and just, you know, the weirdness and all of it, but also the seriousness in so much of this, and some people may not even know the history of Cheon, and, and I know you have an entire series on the Laughing Revival and stuff. I know that could be... Um, That's like, I don't know, 15, 20 years old, but it's... It's when the Toronto Blessing and everything was going down, you know. Well, that's a perfect uh, segue. We play a clip from Chandler's Church with all the, you know, weird sounds they're making and stuff. And we, I was exposing him. I think you were probably about 15 or 10 at that time, Chad. But they've been around for a while. But but guess what? They're gaining steam. And now you have this Dominion movement wrapped in this, uh, you know, this, this, you know, quasi, you know, miracle movement, which is really demonic, all coming together right now. Yeah, and it's interesting because on this next clip we're going to play you, it's on Patricia King's YouTube channel, and on her show she sat down with Cheon as well as Stacey Campbell, and they talked about the Toronto Blessing, and yes, I guess I was 13 because they just recently had the 20-year anniversary. Oh, wow. I was at the 20-year anniversary of Toronto. And um, it, uh, during that time, it, Toronto was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for those of you who don't know, and saw millions of people come into the kingdom. Che knows all about it. It affected many moves of God, the Revival Alliance, IHOP, different places like that. So, Joe, I have to ask you, because uh, I know you've already said a little bit about it already, but was the Toronto blessing this great blessing from God? And you guys are actually going to see a clip from the Toronto Blessing, and you can see some of the players in that clip, and I'll let you know if, about some of them yeah, as well. Yeah, I think that clip will say a lot. I mean, you know, they basically, you know, they lay hands on each other, and they communicate a different spirit, and it moved from one church to the next, from one church to the next, and you have people writhing on the floor like snakes. You have uh, people uh, making the strangest sounds. I've played clips, and people could check it out. It's still on uh, YouTube because some people uploaded it. I think one message is called, you know, Laugh Revival, Divine or Demonic. Yeah, we have it on our YouTube channel. That's oh, on our YouTube channel? Okay, yes. great. Uh, we also have uh, Old Wine or New Lie. I did three different parts. And you hear some of the most wicked, perverse sounds that are otherworldly. And, and when you look back, and I look at the history of it, the Vineyard Movement, which was, you know, many of them were opening up to what happened is there were a lot of people manifesting animal sounds and so forth in, in this movement before it became known as Toronto Blessing. And what happened is people tried to cast these demons out of these people, like, what's going on here? And it started spreading. There were more and more people who were not into Jesus, truth, the Word of God, how do I obey you, Lord, fear in the Lord and everything. A lot of them were just into weirdness, you know, charismatic experiences. And they're, you know, we shows, it sounds like a hyena or something, man. It's like one of the weirdest sounds I've ever heard that you couldn't, you, you couldn't have someone try to make it, that sound. It was just so, there's so many bizarre sounds. And they couldn't cast these, enough of these spirits out. So eventually they said, oh, this must be a move of God. And then they basically said, this is a, a revival. And then it spread from church to church. And, and there is definitely a spirit behind it, but it's, uh, it's not the spirit of God. It's, the, it's the, like the Kundalini type. That's a spirit that it identifies with in, in Kundalini. There's some good videos that have been out since I've done those exposés uh, years ago where they just, you know, there's a lot where you can see in Hinduism. You can see a guru touch them with a feather and they go through the same fits and experiences, which you don't read about in the scripture, but you see in the occult. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. 
Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.